Hello everybody and welcome to the first audio podcast for a brand new year, this one being of course for January 2021. And of course normally at this time of year most of us would be looking ahead with some degree of excitement to the year ahead, maybe thinking what we're going to do in magic, what type of uh, perhaps developing a new show, what type of shows we want to do indeed and what magic conventions we might be going to, as indeed we were this time last year. And look how that turned out. COVID-19, of course, as we've discussed on many occasions, and so many people have had their plans completely and utterly disrupted, and none of us could possibly have foreseen how long it was all going to go on for. And whereas at this time last year, I was talking in my podcast about let's make 2020 the year when we attend a live event and support live magic. Well, of course, that by March was completely out of the question since all the events were cancelled. And it was funny, wasn't it? Because when we first started off, of course, back in March, April time, we thought, well, it won't go on for very long. We'll get this sorted out of some sort of a vaccine will come along perhaps by September at the latest but prior to that probably by the summer we'll be okay oh then we revise that to well probably by the autumn and it went to uh well maybe Christmas shows would be oh dear yet every time we made a plan or thought that things might be improving they would suddenly get worse again and of course the latest thing is a brand new strain of the virus which appears to be even more virulent than the first one and easier to transmit and so lockdowns are happening all over the world so looking ahead to a new year just in general life never mind in magic itself is something that's almost impossible whereas if we could say well with the vaccine rollout let's say april may time things should be starting to get back to normal well it may may at this precise point in time that might be a possibility but of course, now there are no guarantees. And so it's very demotivating, isn't it? You, you can't really plan anything with any uh, certainty. And I think as a result of that, that what you tend to do, I think, in your own head is you think, well, I can't plan. I can't make any plans. I can't plan holidays. I can't even plan when I can see my family next because they're in a different lockdown tier to me and, I, and we are not allowed to travel or visit. You just don't know how many um, weeks or months this is going to all continue for. And and that's quite hard to cope with, uh, depending on your personal situation. The good thing about all this, if there is anything good to come out of what's been happening, the good thing is that magic has, I think on the whole, taken a quite positive attitude towards the all the things that it can't do by creating other things that it can do. I think the number of magic podcasts seems to have increased and uh, are pushing themselves more. People are obviously interested in getting a magical fix by listening to interviews or podcasts like mine. And then, of course, there have been um, a lot of online events, whether it be shows or lectures or special events put on by dealers. All these things have helped all of us to a certain extent and those who want to, to still stay involved. I've been pleased the way that the number of clubs, for instance, who have tried to keep their membership engaged by doing um, Zoom type meetings, either lectures or just general meetings for the membership. And I think that's very encouraging that they've done that. Zoom has obviously made a huge difference. And without it, if we hadn't been able to meet, meet in inverted commas in this way, I think it would have been even worse. We would have felt totally disconnected from our magical friends and from magic in general. 
So the way that magic has adapted and tried to, to say to take something positive out of something that is incredibly negative, I personally have found rather exciting in many ways. And I think looking ahead into the future on the assumption that at some point in 2021, we will get back to something what we would consider to be normal. I think some of the things that have been put in place during COVID will, will stay with us and become other options. And that in the fullness of time, when we can get back to live interaction, some of the online stuff, which has been beneficial to so many people up to now, will continue in one form or another and give us even more breadth to enjoy our particular hobby. Sometimes it seems to me that a lot of entertainers, such as close-up magicians or perhaps stage or cabaret performers, when they think about children's entertainers, they tend to sort of slightly look down on them as if entertaining children is the really is the easy end of the spectrum. And they don't give children's entertainers the credit that many of them deserve for a lot of the things that they do very, very well. What I mean by this is that I suppose if you're a close-up magician using technical skill, when you look at what you have to practice and the things that you have to technically cope with compared to most children's entertainers and the effects of technical effects that they are trying to do children's stuff is often very simple to operate the actual techniques involved do not necessarily require an awful lot of skill and so because the close-up magician thinks well anybody could do a kid's trick well yes they anybody can present a, a children's trick at one level but then anybody could pick up and do a self-working card trick too. It's not like close-up magic is, everything to do with close-up magic is really, really skillful and difficult and harder to achieve. There are lots of easy things to do. You think of all the gimmicks, that are coin gimmicks, that, that basically almost do the magic for you as a close-up magician. So it's a bit disingenuous to, to look at children's entertainers and say, well, you're the bottom end of the food chain because everything you do is easy. I think where children's entertainers are often very very good is their use of their audience management and it, and in many ways they're sort of almost like their stagecraft because even a relatively small audience for a children's center let's say up to about a dozen kids it tends to be presented not in close a close-up way although for instance in my case if it's a small group of children and they're of a certain age, seven, eight, nine, that sort of age, I do close up for them. But for younger children, you're not doing that type of trick, are you? You're doing a bigger presentation. You're getting kids out of the audience and up to help you. And all this requires a stage management, how to deal with these kids um, physically to get them to do the things that you need them to do, but how to get fun out of having them up with you as well. This is, this is what I mean by sort of stagecraft. Now, some children's entertainers are not particularly good at it, in the same way that some close-up entertainers are not very good at sleight of hand. But there are other children's entertainers who are absolutely masterful at the way that they deal with the young youngsters who come up to help them. And the way that they, they milk the business in a good way, not just constantly repeating the breaking, you know, the, the breaking magic wand, breakaway wand, 14 times in a row. I'm talking about the, the top people here who really understand what it is that children find funny 
all the different aspects of being a children's entertainer, the use of, of your voice, your physical expression, the way that you move, the, 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 the noises, the things that you, that you say that children can relate to, the plots themselves, which are often, although technically easy, are often very well put together to get the maximum entertainment. All these things are not a given. And top children's entertainers have a fantastic um, number of tools at their disposal and which they use very, very effectively to get the absolute maximum out of a prop that in itself might be very, very simple. So I've always felt that to, to say that children's entertaining is the easy end, it really isn't. In fact, if uh, as a close-up magician you've never entertained children before, May I suggest that you have a go at trying to show some youngsters some of your tricks and you just see how it's not as straightforward as you think. You think, well, they're only kids. They, they won't know how it's done. Well, the thing about children, even quite young children of five and six years of age, is that they, they, they're very hard to misdirect. They don't have preconceptions about how a trick might be done and therefore are fooled when it's not done in the way that they might expect. They just look at things as they are. So to fool them, you need a different set of techniques. These techniques are not so much to do with technical sleight of hand most of the time, but they are more to do with the audience management, the presentation and the fun that's put into it to make a more rounded piece of entertainment. So I think children's entertainers deserve, a, the good ones deserve a really big pat on the back for the skills that they to entertain children so well. As you may know, towards the end of last year, I spent quite some time putting together um, my first Zoom lecture. eClub Pro Live, the Zoom version, has uh, had a couple of outings already at the end, towards the end of last year, and I have some more bookings coming up for it this year with Magic Clubs around the country. But it, it did occur to me that, of course, a lot of magicians are not affiliated to Magic Clubs. Uh, or if they are, their Magic Club may not be doing any Zoom activity at all. Many are, but not all are. So I've decided to make the, the lecture itself into an open event as well, where anybody can book um, a ticket and can sort of come along without being a member of a club or being affiliated to any Magic Society. So I've set a date of Wednesday the 10th of February, starting at 7.30pm in the evening. And the eClub Pro Live Open event is available for purchase of tickets at £10 each to anybody who would like to come along. The lecture, lecture lasts two hours and it comprises of a lot of commercial, practical magic. It's magic for mentalism, for stand-up, for strolling and close-up shows. It's very varied, it's loads of fun. And I'm sure that you'll get several things out of it. And all the methods are very practical. I'm not a finger flinger. Uh, I might use a bit of sleight of hand from time to time, but I'm not a finger flinger. So my, my plots and my methods tend to be accessible to just about everybody, which I think is a benefit. Now, another ticket, although the ticket costs £10 to, to come along, you, if you'd provided that you turn up, and are present when the lecture takes place. After the lecture, I will send all the people who come a voucher worth £10 to offset against any purchases from Mark Leverage Magic. So any download that's bought can be discounted by £10. 
So effectively, if you, if you cash in your voucher, you will have had the lecture for nothing. So it's a kind of a win-win situation for you. You get the lecture and you get to, to select something worth t at least £10 in any case. Now, if you want more information about this open event, then you just need to go to my homepage where it is uh, currently, there's a link to a page telling you all about it and and get your your sort of application in and, and you'll receive when you book online you'll receive um, an email that have a pdf on it which will give you your your ticket which gives you the information that you need i'm really looking forward to doing it i think the lecture's something that you will really enjoy so i do hope that you'll be able to come along so that's wednesday the 10th of february and i hope to see lots of you there I was thinking about magic entertainment generally the other day and because none of us have been doing hardly any shows it's a funny time isn't it you get out of the rhythm of entertaining people live and you start to to wonder if you'll still be able to do it when you eventually go back to it and I was thinking what are the key elements that make up a good magic performance for lay people is it lots of having lots of technical skill is it being a, a, a good personality? There, there are lots, but there are lots of things, aren't there, which need to come together for an audience to like you. And I identified um, four elements which I'd like to suggest to you are pretty vital. They're not the only ones, of course, but these are four elements that I think are fairly essential if you're to be a success as a live performer. And they all begin with the letter E. Well, it's E for entertainment, but there are four others, and they are energy, enthusiasm, excitement, and enjoyment. So if, let me explain. Now, so first of all, energy. I think, uh, especially for close-up magicians, which is what I'm referring to when I say this, that we often have long, quite long evenings. If you go to a very big event and you're required to work for three or four hours, it's always going to be nearly always going to be at night, of course. You may well, if you're a semi-pro, have done been at work all day or had other things, even if you're not a semi-pro, if you're a pro, you may have had things all day and then you have to go out in the evening and perform. And sometimes you feel tired. And I think if you're tired, if you don't have that energy that a performance requires, that can transmit itself to an audience. If you look a bit washed out or if you feel a bit washed out and you let it show and you, the adrenaline is not being enough to give you that energy that you need to present properly, I think your performance is, is diminished. And linked to energy is enthusiasm. Again, with close-up magicians, there is a danger, I think, sometimes that we, because we are doing a finite or relatively finite number of tricks repeatedly, not necessarily in the same order, but nevertheless, over the course of an evening and, and then across several evenings, some tricks we will do many, many times. And it's very easy, I think, to to potentially lose your enthusiasm because you basically get a bit bored. You know, if you're doing the same tricks again and again, you go into almost autopilot. You're not putting the energy and enthusiasm into it anymore. You're just almost going through the motions. Your mind might be elsewhere thinking about other things perhaps and I think an audience picks up on on enthusiasm and when it's not there they probably notice it too I mean one of the things that I've never had any problems with to be honest with you is is being enthusiastic about performing live 
And a comment that I've often had when I chat to lay people is they say, oh, you, you really seem to, in, to be enthusiastic about what you do. Well, yes, I, I am. It's not a, I'm not putting on an act. I genuinely am enthusiastic. And I think if that enthusiasm is not there, then it can be a bit... It brings down the atmosphere for the group that you're entertaining and they don't enjoy it so much. And when that happens, the excitement of the performance, that's the third E, starts to diminish. If you're downbeat, not as part of a personality, but simply because you're you're tired and you don't feel particularly enthusiastic, the excitement is then diminished. And I think what is easy to forget sometimes is that although each group that we go to for us is just the latest group of people that we're trying to entertain, for them as a group looking at you... You, it may be the very first time they've ever seen a magician live. They may be really excited about the prospect of seeing magic right under their noses. They've seen it on TV. Maybe they've even been to a big show somewhere, but they've never seen close-up done so close to them. And if you're not enthusiastic, all that excitement may drain away because there's a lack of energy. There's a lack of anything to raise the excitement levels to a point where the audience oh this is absolutely brilliant and when that happens then the audience loses the fourth e which is the enjoyment of it all well he was okay but yeah. could be the comment you know the, the sort of feeling well it wasn't exactly lifted out of my seat i he was clever but you know not much fun really and it's all because of the the energy and the, uh, and the enthusiasm from the performer perhaps wasn't quite there at that, for that particular group or on that particular night. Therefore, they didn't get excited. And as a result of that, they didn't enjoy it as much as they might otherwise have done. So that's why I say that I think energy, enthusiasm, excitement and enjoyment are all vital. Yes, you've got to be a smooth ball. Yes, you've got to have the, the technical stuff nailed down and all your lines. You, you need to know what you're going to say and so on and be able to interact with people. There's lots and lots of elements. But I think if you can get those four key things, if you can nail those down, then I think there's a much better chance of your audience appreciating what you do. In the latest issue of Magic Scene magazine, the one for January 2021, um, I don't know whether those of you who read it, whether you noticed, but there's a, a couple of of little quarter page bits of fun called either or in which we gave top personalities magic personalities five different choices and we asked them to choose from each sort of the, of the five one or other of the options and then just give a short one-liner about why they're making the choice that they are and one of the people that we did this with was Chris Congreve. And Chris, one of the questions that he got asked is about what he wears at shows. So at a dinner function, does he wear a dinner suit or does he wear, would he prefer to wear an ordinary suit or something else? And what he wrote was, I wear what I wear, but it's smart. And I think, I think that's quite interesting. I wear what I wear. Because performance clothing, especially for close-up magicians... It is an interesting area, I think, for, for discussion, because I think there could be a difference between what you would naturally like to wear, what you think you look good in or what you think is stylish, compared to what you might actually 
possibly need to be wearing because of the type of magic that you're presenting. I mean, stage and cabaret magicians may have to have special clothing because, especially I think, you think of a manipulative act, for instance, producing doves and other stuff, need special holders and special arrangement of pockets and so on. But even close-up magicians, I mean, I, I, for years I wore, um, at a dinner function, I would wear a dinner jacket uh, and a dinner suit indeed. These days I wear a, a smart three-piece suit and that three-piece suit was specially made for me with the, the arrangement of pockets and various other aspects of it made specifically to make my job as a close-up magician easier. And I wear that now to dinners because it, I think it's smart enough for dinners. So rather like Chris, I'm wearing what I want to wear and I'm not completely conforming to a dinner function where everybody else is wearing a dinner suit, I'm wearing a dinner suit as well. But I think there's a difference between that and, for instance, somebody said, well, I, I like to wear ripped jeans and a T-shirt, so therefore I'm going to go and do wear that to a dinner function. Because clearly I think the people booking you might look at you and although you think you look cool in it and you may well do but it's not what they are expecting the performer perhaps to be wearing they may think it you haven't made an effort and so you get sort of you know negative points are marked up against you because well he was very scruffily dressed and I've heard this said many times about lecturers for magicians Lecturers will often dress very casually by in performance terms. They will turn up in jeans and things like that. And I've heard, and it, all right, yes, it tends to be older magicians perhaps who perhaps don't like that sort of thing. Younger magicians may not give two hoots about what the lecturer's wearing. But there's a certain look which says you can be smart casual, but you can just be casual when it's not smart. And and sometimes I think some people look at the lecturer and say, well, he hasn't. He looks like he's rolled out of bed, grabbed the first things he found that were hung over the chair from yesterday, and come along in that. And there's almost a feeling, perhaps, of well, that shows a slight lack of respect for the job that that person is supposed to be doing, for the fact that he is presenting, he's lecturing, he's he's doing a presentation that should have some importance, and the people who go along or who watch online would need to feel that, that that the performer himself, the lecturer himself, is taking it seriously. And the way he dresses might reflect that he does, or in their eyes reflect that he doesn't really care. So I think performance clothing is, is a very interesting area. Wearing what is appropriate for your age uh, and for your uh, the way that your body is. Are you overweight? Are you slim? What are you? Finding something that that you look right in. Uh, and which other people will look at you and think that you look smart, that you look like you've made an effort, certainly to my way of thinking, is the way to go. Uh, but then I suppose I'm an older magician, so I might think that, wouldn't I? But I certainly do think that there are certain, there's a, like a, a line to be drawn in the sand between making it look like you haven't bothered and actually being smart enough for people to say, ah, oh, he's obviously made an effort here. You know, if you're going to wear a T-shirt, if you had a, a T-shirt, for instance, with with a logo on it that's your brand or your logo for your shows, even that, a polo shirt that looks like that, is better than just a polo neck that you've put on that's got some other branding all over it or some picture or something like that. Again, in my personal view. So performance clothing is, is something that I think 
we don't always think about as carefully as we might, and yet it can make quite an impression on the audience one way or the other. Now, I'm sure we would all agree that over the last 10 to 15 years, maybe even 20 years, mentalism as a form of entertainment for lay public has increased hugely in popularity. I mean, Darren Brown's television appearances, of course, have had a huge amount in the UK, for instance, to do with this. But there have always been mentalists at any one time. If you look back over many decades, whether you're going right back to Chan Kanas and Al-Quran and people like this, the Piddingtons, that there's always been mentalists around, but they were few and far between. And they were seen as being exceptional, uh, different types of acts compared to the regular magicians. Regular magicians were to a penny, mentalists were not. But as the public's perception of mentalism has become um, more acute, as they've seen more examples, people like Darren Brown, of course, good examples of the of the genre, then the number of magicians moving over to mentalism has increased exponentially. And now there are lots and lots of people who all they do in their acts are mental effects and presentations. Now, magicians themselves, I think, still are popular. I think magic, close-up magic, for instance, is is still very popular with people. But in terms of power, a good mentalist seems to be able to get more credibility, perhaps. And you might reflect on, well, I wonder why that is. And I came across a quote from an old Magic Scene magazine I happened to be looking through. And there was a quote that Mark Paul gave us, which we quoted in the magazine. I think it's really interesting. It was from a few years ago, and he was explaining uh, in a fairly succinct way uh, the difference between a magician and a mentalist. And this is what he said. He said, A magician does impossible things, while a mentalist does things that might just be possible. They can still look impossible, but the audience is more likely to believe in what they're seeing. Mentalism is the last frontier of magic where some people believe that it's real. Now, that's that's interesting. What what he's saying, therefore, is that for the lay public, the lay public themselves, even when the performer makes no, necessarily doesn't make any claims to be a genuine mind reader, psychic or whatever, the lay people often, because they don't know of the methods behind what they're seeing, the only conclusion they can come to is that it must be some form of mind reading. And when the performer reveals personal details, for instance, on whether it be their credit card, their family, uh, or things that they've done in their childhood and so on and so forth, this uh, gives a huge impression, leaves a huge impression with people because it does seem so utterly impossible. And their explanation is, well, it has, has to be mind reading, doesn't it? There's no other way it could be done. Whereas with magic, if you do something impossible, then often lay people will come up with some sort of a, what we know is a fairly crass solution. Oh, he just shoved it up his sleeve or, oh, he put it in there when I wasn't looking. This sort of way of explaining magic. But with mentalism, when it's done well, it's very hard to categorise in that way. You, you can't just come up that they don't have that frame of reference. 
And so therefore, the only thing they can think of to suggest of those, as a way to do it, of what, it I, what else can it be? It must be mind reading. And that is possibly why people who perform mentalism well do get so much credit. It's something that they can make look impossible and yet still believable. And I think that's what, what Mark is saying here. He's saying that it, it can, what we do, it can look totally impossible, but yet somewhere on some sort of level, it's the level of he must be a mind reader, therefore, it is something that people can identify with and can respect and be amazed by. And that's why so many people are, are having great success with, with mentalism um, and will continue to do so, no doubt, because it shows no signs of abating. So there we are. That's the first um, episode of the podcast for the new year. As I started off with this, I was saying, well, it's so hard to predict what's going to happen over the next few weeks and months. But uh, I do nevertheless want to wish everybody a happy new year, if, that, if that's possible. And let's all hope that we can get back to something, not necessarily that go back to exactly what it was before, but go on to something more positive, particularly in terms of the interaction for us performers with our audiences because let's face it there is nothing quite like being able to face a group of spectators and feeding off their enthusiasm and excitement so have a have a good month and i will see you next month for the next podcast <laughs>